Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that we have in your Holy Spirit who is with us, in us, among us. The presence of Christ that is evident in this unique organization, this body called the church. We thank you that we're a part of the larger worldwide body that you are growing, shaping, and calling to yourself as a display of the worth of what Christ did on the cross. I pray, Father, that we would be swept up again from the heart to love Him, to prize Him above all else. We pray that as we continue uh, going through Acts this morning, that you would once again warm our hearts to the beauty of Jesus, to, to prize Him above everything, political ideology, um, riches that are promised, security that may be dangled in front of us, that we would prize Christ, the eternal, over what is temporary. We thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts and in this group. We pray that you continue to do so. In Christ's name, amen. We are in Acts chapter 5. And as we've seen often, in, and we will see again and again in Acts, uh, it's crazy town. You got people uh, inside the church who are, uh, oh, there he is. Um, happy birthday Thank you. to Clint. Should we sing? Should we do the wave? We can, should we do the wave? You sure? I can't lead. Okay. Happy birthday to you. There you go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Clint. Happy birthday to you. Awkward pause because the song just tends to go too long, doesn't it? Well, happy birthday. Glad you're here. All right. We were, we were debating, but you made it so good. good. All right. Uh, so, Acts 5. We looked at last week um, this bizarre situation where you have people who misrepresent what they were actually giving to the church and the Holy Spirit judges them in front of the church uh, and they're dead on the scene. Three hour interval, two people are dead. And so there's judgment going on within the body of Christ for deception. And then you've got crazy town in the church and now you've got crazy town outside the church. Um, in last week, we saw the Holy Spirit dealt with Ananias and Sapphira's attempt to deceive, and it showed us that the New Testament does not display a God any less holy than the one in the Old Testament. Uh, and today we're going to see that the New Testament doesn't display a God any less powerful or demanding than the God that is displayed in the Old Testament. And I bring that point out because it's one book. It's one God. One book. And we see here a continuation, a progression of redemptive history orchestrated by the same God. Let's look at verse 12. Look a little bit at Crazy Town Without here. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. But the people held them in high esteem, 
And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So here we have one of the, the third of the many summaries that we have in Acts of what's going on. Uh, this one is close on the heels of the summary regarding the church's community of sharing that we saw in chapter 4. Uh, and in chapter 5, Luke gives us another summary, this time of the healing ministry of the apostles. Whose ministry does this sound like, by the way? you got crowds of people, everybody being healed. I can't even get the words out of my mouth, and already the Sunday school answer is correct. It sounds like Jesus, and didn't he promise that? These and greater works will you do, right? Didn't he say that? How many of them are doing this? Just one man? Everybody, all of them. All the apostles are doing this. So you have 12 if you're counting. 12 of them are doing this. They were already doing this with the healing of the lame beggar. And here Luke confirms that it was all of the apostles shown to be doing miraculous works. They were performed among the skeptical Jewish population, not before a primed TV audience. These are people who were skeptical of the claims of Christ, and these miracles were happening. Which lends to what? Credibility, right? If I go in as a skeptic, and I'm seeing somebody who's lame get up and walk, or, or somebody with leprosy be healed, how do I account for that? Right? Okay. Luke uses the term signs and wonders again to make the point that these works were not parlor tricks, but pointed to and prepared the way for the witness to who Jesus is and what he has done. Who's meeting there at Solomon's portico? What does it say? All together. Who does that mean? What are they talking about? Luke being very descriptive here of who, who this is. The apostles. The apostles? Just the apostles. It says none of the rest there to join them. None of the rest. It's confusing, isn't it? Because it, does all of them mean just the apostles are meeting? Or does all of them mean all the believers are meeting as opposed to none of the rest of the population meeting them there? What? Well, given the context of what they prayed for, what do you think the answer to that question is? What do you think? Just the apostles? All the believers. All the believers. Who prayed for the boldness to be there? Then the prayer, wasn't it all of them together were praying? All of the Christians together give us boldness to witness? And it would seem to be kind of counter to that if we just said just the apostles were going because that would show timidity and one thing we learned about the early church at least at this time in Jerusalem they're not timid they're very aggressive they prayed for boldness to witness um, notice that both the miracles that they prayed for and the boldness that they prayed for are evidence of answered prayer 
they didn't just say, Jesus promised that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. So he's, our, he's sovereign. He promised that would happen. So let's sit back and eat bonbons and watch the fireworks. Right? It was the promise of the sovereign Christ that gave them hope that the mission would be accomplished. And so they worked toward the mission being accomplished. It wasn't an excuse to sit back. They were out there consistently sharing the gospel. The authority of Christ's sovereignty gave them hope that it would be accomplished, and so they worked to see it accomplished, knowing that it was the sovereign Christ working in them and through them. So what's going on with the none of the rest dared to join them? Who's, who's that talking about? If the believers are there meeting in the portico, along with the apostles, and crazy towns happening there, who's not daring to join them? The Jews, the unbelieving Jews. Because we see later that some were coming. In fact, a lot of people were coming, men and women, it says. So the unbelieving Jews dared not to attach themselves to them. It's kind of what the language is, is saying. Why would that be? Why do you think? It's like they're ruining uh, Jewish tradition, history. Some of that, maybe. Just Some of that. Two people get killed. You just had two people get killed within the body for what? Lying. For lying, for not being authentic, right? And so there's a cost to coming into this thing half-hearted. And that was made known. Notice that, and this is of course an extreme version of church discipline, but notice the result of it. It purifies who's considered. They took church membership very seriously. <laughs> the people who know this story are not wanting to come near them because it's crazy town in there. You've got to be all in. You've got to know their God. You've got to, you've got to believe this wholeheartedly and be all in or it's dangerous. There's a fear after the Ananias and Sapphira incident that it's dangerous to be attached to that community in a half-hearted way. They took church membership seriously. Even so, at this time, unbelievers held Christians in high regard, but they kept a healthy distance from them unless they were willing to be all in. And from Luke's account, multitudes of men and women were all in. Uh, what's this bit about Peter's shadow? Does that remind you of anyone? Oh, good answer, Jesus, yes. What... In, in, a, in a story that we went over recently, didn't we talk about the woman with the issue of blood who was so desperate for healing, so desperate to see Jesus that even if I could just touch the hem of his garment, it says in the, in the King James. Here you have the same kind of idea. If I, could just be, if I could just get under his shadow. Now that sounds kind of weird to us, but in the ancient world, the shadow was considered to be an extension of the person themselves. They, can, they, they, they saw the shadow as being um, kind of a, a, a representation or a presence of that person's personality, their power, their authority, whatever. And so the, the idea of shadow there is they wanted to get under the extension of Peter. Well, they had to go touch him, didn't want, didn't want to get too near him, but the shadow would do it. That was the idea. Incidentally, does Luke ever record anybody being healed by Peter's shadow? No. But what the belief that if I could just get under a shadow, what does that tell you about 
their view of the effectiveness of the apostles' healing ministry. They saw it as very effective. Yeah, I mean, they high, repre- high reputation. <clears throat> um, certainly from what they had seen, right? I mean, you're not going to do that without that kind of reputation being based on some, uh, some evidential things. All right. In any event, the Christians were confined to Jerusalem at this time. And, uh, and like Jesus' ministry, people were coming in from all the surrounding villages. So there's a summary of what's going on. Does this sound like normal to you? Is this normal? What's going on? Twelve guys out there healing everybody, people waiting to be fallen on by their shadow just so that they might have a chance. I mean, does that sound like normal? No, that does not sound like normal. So it's all this stuff going on, lots of attention coming to the church because of the signs and wonders that are going on. And in the midst of that, the, the signs and wonders are leading to opening a door for the gospel and the ministry of the apostles to the people. So the apostles are basically living their best life now with all of these miracles. So it should be easy street from this point on, right? Because, I mean, their, their faith is out there, it's evident, and they're creating the reality with the force of their faith, right? This is what they're doing. should be easy. Look at verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Who has a problem with what's going on here? The people? The Sadducees. And who were they again? They were Sadducees. They were Sadducees, yes. My mission in life has been completed. They were Sadducees. And what is it about the Sadducees? What did they not believe in? Which is what the apostles were teaching, right? Proclaiming every day with these miraculous signs and wonders. The resurrection. What else do they not believe in? Jesus. Yes. 
<laughs> Good answer. True. Did they also have a problem with um, oh, is the authority angels? Right? Did they that they didn't believe in angels and demons and, and things in the spiritual realm other than God? They thought that those were uh, they they were actually arguing they took the Bible literally, and the Pharisees were reading too much into it. That was their argument. Um, so they didn't believe in angels. Uh, this term jealousy, what are they jealous of? The attention. The attention? All the people are going to them for help. Okay, so all the people were going to the apostles for help, and they had strictly warned them not to teach in this name, right? Is it, that was the last thing they did? Yeah. That went over well. <laughs> uh, so basically, you've got people. What, what is the high priest's duty? What does he do? What is, his, what is he in charge of? God. He's supposed to be the mediator between people and God. Functionally, as an administrator, what is he in charge of? Sacrifice. The sacrifices on what, what area? Temple. In the temple grounds, right? He's in charge of keeping the sacrifices going, the, the, the law obeyed on the temple grounds. And his second in command, the captain of the guard, is, is responsible with enforcing... The, uh, the rules and regulations for dealing with, you know, who's supposed to be where, who's in the Gentile court, who's in the, you know, whatever. So they're, in, they're really concerned with keeping order. Why? Whose attention will they get if things get a little crazy? Rome. Rome. And what would cause the attention, uh, Rome to put its attention here? What, what's going on? What, what are they fearing? Revolt. Revolt. Why would they feel, fear revolt? What are the apostles preaching? King Jesus. Their, this messianic stuff has led to trouble in the past, right? And so they want to hang on to their property. They want to hang on to their positions. And so the word jealousy here actually has a connotation of zeal. They're very zealous. And it's not for anything holy. It's for their place in society, that they're very zealous. And so they want to move on this quickly. All right. What did they think was a good move here? What's a good idea to deal with this? Arrest them and put them where? In the public prison. Now, what's a public prison? What does, what, just, without even knowing anything about the culture or anything, what does that tell you? It's public, right? Square. It's in the middle of town. People can see it. It's like, you know, it, it's not hidden off in some dungeon. It's out where everybody is. Trying to break their credibility. Right. Try to break their credibility. Let everybody see them in jail. Let the public see what would happen to them if they joined them. And let the be an intimidating factor for the public if they join the apostles. There's more than just uh, a couple of people dying within the group that you need to fear. You need to fear us. Right? Is that, is that basically the message they're sending? Um, put them in a very public place so anyone can see if they try to escape. See what happens to people who join this movement. Do you see the irony here? Put them in a public jail. These guys reject the very idea of resurrection, which is what the apostles are preaching. They reject the idea of, of, of angels. 
Who rescues them from the public prison? Angels. An angel. Jesus, yes. Was Through the message of an angel. Always safe. Playing it safe this morning. All right. Through an angel. I, when I was going through it this week, I, I, was, I started laughing because I thought of Colossians 2.15 where Paul says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. And of course, Paul's talking about the cross there, but the thing I thought of, he's still doing it. And he's doing it here. Soon they're not going to be able to find these guys that they put in the public prison because an angel rescued them. What does this demonstrate? What, this is a PR nightmare. What does this demonstrate to the people about the potency of the leadership to deal with this issue? They're powerless. They're powerless. They're not capable. Why? Because they're going against God. Because they're going against God, right? They're utterly helpless against God's people. It should undergird to us the reality that anything that happens to the church is at the permission and direction of the Sovereign Christ for our good and His glory. What can man do to us? And it gets made real right here. What, what is the angel's instruction to them? Let's leave the city? Go teach in the temple. Go to the same place you got arrested and do the same thing you were doing when you got arrested. Are they running to safety here? No. Is God, through this angel, telling them, leave the city, save yourselves, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned for your well-being, health, and wealth, and prosperity. Is that what he's telling them? No. Go back and preach the message. <laughs> Why would he tell them that? The work is not done. Their work's not done. The Holy Spirit's work is not done through them either. To demonstrate that the gospel cannot be caged. Cannot be the gospel cannot be caged. I like that. Should have been the title of the lesson. <laughs> the gospel cannot be caged. He's sending them into danger, not away from it. Does that surprise you? Americans, 21st century. I need a safe space. Does that surprise you? It's the opposite of what man would do, for sure. It ain't natural. But there's also the sense of security. You know, they were doing what they were supposed to do. They were in the temple. They got arrested. And God's like, no, 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 no. You were doing what you are supposed to do. I'm going to put you back in the temple. What can man do to me? Right? They resume their witness, preaching the same gospel, right at the spot they were arrested. When do they do it? They were Daybreak. Why would they do it at daybreak? What do you think? What's going on? It's when everybody's going for morning sacrifices. Morning sacrifices coming in. And there's a crowd. Not only the, they don't pick the place where it's least populated, they go right at the heart of Jewish life, the morning sacrifice, here again at Solomon's Portico, preaching Christ resurrected and the repentance from sin. There's not much of a concern for personal safety here. <coughs> Meanwhile, back at the Sanhedrin, <laughs> what's going on there? 
What's the first thing on their agenda? They go to the prison first. They go to the prison. Why are they going to the prison? They want to go get them for what? The whole council. The Senate of the Sons of Israel. That's very Exodus sounding, isn't it? And Luke does that. I use a lot of Exodus language. The Senate of the Sons of Israel are there. The Sanhedrin are there. The high priest is there. Go get them. We will show them this time. You know. Because they're at the temple. Yeah, exactly. What happens? Can you imagine being the guard that has to come back with this report? Like, yeah, sir. Um, you see, all um, the way it happened was. What had happened was, I mean, this not there. They're not there. We go to the right prison. So, what did they do? Did they jimmy the lock? No, it was locked. Locked securely. So, did they wait till some of the guards went to go to the potty? No. And then they had some friends come break them out? What did they say? Potty. I've got little kids. <laughs> the guards are standing attentively at the door like guards do. And it's a public prison. And it's a public prison. All right. What was the response to the leaders at this? What do they? What does he say? What does Luke? How does Luke describe their? They were perplexed. They were distraught. <laughs> they were perplexed. Uh, I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe in angels. I don't believe in anything not natural. And we got locked doors, a public prison, and and guards who are there. That would cause a little bit of a conflict with my worldview. Right? They're perplexed. And then finally, though, finally, thank God, somebody comes with a bit of good news. They're not gone. They're out there where you arrested them doing exactly what you told them not to do and you arrested them for in the first place. Among the people at the most populated time of the day. Is that good news or bad news for the Sanhedrin? So they find them. They hadn't totally escaped. They were back at the temple. So who goes to get them this time? The captain of the guard. He's second in command of the temple. Because you don't want to leave these things to lesser hands, right? I mean, you, he, he's going to go. He goes with the officers. He goes with a contingent of people, a contingent of guys with swords. And does what? He asked them nicely. <laughs> he asked them nicely. Because they didn't want to be stoned by the people. Because they didn't want to be stoned by the people. What a PR nightmare. This is humiliating. You, you say it shows the apostles submitting to authority even when it was corrupt because they were they forced to go? No. It says without force. They willingly went. They didn't have to go. And if they had resisted, the crowd would have backed them up and that would have been interesting. But they go. Live peaceably with all men as much as it depends on you. They go. Right? And we'll find out next week it cost them. And how they respond. The captain was second in rank to the high priest. Um, but he goes himself. And he goes essentially and asks the apostles to go with him. He can't use force because he was afraid of being stoned by the people. Now, personally, he probably wanted to stone them himself. But self-preservation dictates a more diplomatic tone here. And so they go with him. All right. 
What made them willing, you think? I mean, they're submitting themselves again to danger. And it costs them. They're submitting themselves to danger. What do you think made them willing? They had an opportunity to preach the word to the high priest. They had the opportunity to preach the gospel again to the council, to the leaders. I think you're right. And they knew. Go ahead. Well, they, just, they had just prayed for boldness. And so this is driven by the Holy Spirit. Sure. Prayer yeah. To give them boldness in the face of adversity. You pray for boldness, act on it. Right? The Holy Spirit is moving in them. What gave them confidence in addition to the prayer and the drive to preach the gospel, do you think? Recent events kind of bolster. Yeah? They recently got broke out of jail by an angel. By an angel. If God can protect us there, what have I got to fear? They were they were certainly pumped, I'm sure. All right. Look at Romans eight. Verse thirty one. Paul had some experience with this too, and we'll see that later in Acts, which I think uh, probably undergirds him writing this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake... We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. After forgiveness through the cross, everything else is gravy. Is that the message of the New Testament you see? Once I can stand before a holy God redeemed, wearing a foreign righteousness, my sins, past, present, and future forgiven because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do to me? What will they do to us? Does it matter? We naturally want to run from danger. Christ bids the apostles to run to it, not that we act without wisdom and discernment. I think the questions we need to be asking are not, will I be embarrassed? Not, will I be hurt? It should be, will the gospel be advanced? Will Jesus be made much of? 
And the willingness uh, to go with the captain of the guard cost the apostles in the next section. I mean, they get beat for this. And yet, it had already been demonstrated by the, the angel that breaks them out of a public prison that nothing could separate them from the love of Christ, whether it was deliverance from the circumstances or not. Growing hostility in the culture, and we'll see this in Acts, there will be a growing hostility. And right now they've got the approval of the people. That's great. They've got the popular vote. But what's going to happen is that eventually the people will turn on them. And as has happened in church history before, we talked about this a while back, there were like 40 years of non-persecution time, a time of peace in the Roman Empire in about the second century. And then when a persecution came that was empire-wide, the generation that grew up in the time of relative peace, a large portion of them fell away. They, reject, they, they, they bowed to the little pinch of incense to the statue of Caesar. Caesar is Lord, because I don't want to be beat. I don't want to be thrown to the lions. I don't want my stuff taken away. And then after that persecution subsided, there was a big conflict on, should we let these people who denied Christ before the world back into the church? It became a really huge deal. It's actually out of that grew the, um, the non-gospel-oriented doctrine of penance in the Roman Catholic Church, but we'll talk about that some other time. It's, it's happened after 40 years of relative peace. And you see it throughout church history. When there's a time of peace, persecution comes, many recoil. We've had 300 years of Disneyland in America. Steal your hearts now. I'm not, I don't, I'm not trying to do fear-mongering or anything like that. I'm just saying that the, the natural flow of history is we generally find ourselves on the brunt end. America is not normal. So I, I encourage you, steal your hearts now. There are battles within, there are battles without, there will always be there. Um, it's happened before, it'll happen again. Prepare now to cling to Christ. Prize Him above what is quick and easy in your personal battles against indwelling sin. Don't trade the eternal for the temporary, personally and publicly. Work now. We, we talked uh, Wednesday night, guys and I did, about pursuit of holiness, what that looks like. And the Puritans had a thing, some of them, not everybody, they had a thing where they would actually chart their growth in holiness. Uh, this week, I, wanna, I want to be, you know, four times in my situation, if I'm trying to grow in kindness, of which I am absolutely without, apart from the Holy Spirit. Um, if I'm going to grow in that, I want to I respond, respond quickly with kindness four times today. You know, did I? In journal, did I? What, was, what went wrong? Where did, I, where did I sin here? And they would do this and see this growth. I, I would put it on an Excel spreadsheet and see if you do a chart. But, um, but, they, but they charted, they tried to be accountable, really is what it is, an accountability to practical piety, practical holiness in doing that. I, that may or may not appeal to you. 
I think it's worth considering is something that we need to be about journaling and, and reflecting on where we are, what we're doing, how we're growing, not just saying, I know I'm growing somehow. I, I, that's an encouraging thing and it's a convicting thing to do. Hold yourself accountable that way. But the reason I bring it up is yield to the Holy Spirit now to train your hearts to impulsively seek His kingdom first. Because when it all comes down, and it may not be nationally, it may be just at your work. When it comes down, what is your impulse going to be? If you've trained your heart to cling to that's what's eternal, to cling to, cling to Christ who is eternal, that's going to be a natural thing. Worked in through the Spirit with fear and trembling <laughs> as He's working in you, it says in Philippians. But it doesn't come out of nowhere. Train your hearts now on that. Any, any, other, any other things that you see out of this passage? I, I did a little monologue, sorry. Go ahead. I, I really like how you have the, these opposing powers. You've got the Sanhedrin and the, um, I'm sorry, the Sadducees and the Roman guards and the prison versus an angel. So you've got God in his almighty glory that sends an angel. He's unnamed. He's just, you know, just kind of, hey, just, just go let him out. So you've got two guards, the prison, all these people. And it takes one angel. And it's just, it's just an angel. He's not even named. There's no glory at all given to the angel. Yeah. That's how out of balance the power is yeah. here. Yeah. I think that's cool. And they're, they're basically raging with jealousy against these, this work of God happening. And you'll see later on a speech by one of their philosophers to them about if it's from God, it's gonna, you can't stop it. If it's not, it'll die out on its own. And they don't follow that advice. They should have, but they didn't. Um, anyway. Anything else? Kevin, yes, sir. Uh, kind of going along with what Grant said, it's almost like God is taunting the Sadducees. Yeah. Like, uh, what's, what's the verse here? He's up in the heaven. He, he, he does what he, he, yeah, yeah. He laughs at him. Yeah. He's almost like you think you can stop my work. Here it is right in your face again. Yeah. And, and right at the core of what your worldview is. Yeah. I mean, uh, Doug Wilson had this phrase in, in the collision. He talked about taking the worldview and driving it into a tree. Uh, that's what's going on here. He is confronting them right where their unbelief is. Is God miraculous? Yes. Does he, is there another realm? Yes. And let me show you how that looks as you're trying to fight against the gospel. I mean, public ridicule of their worldview. It's a beautiful thing. Right. And we all can get into it where we either believe something so deeply or we're holding on to something so tightly mm -hmm. that even when we're faced with something so obvious, we rail against it because we don't want to have to believe that that's true. Right. Even when we're reading in Scripture and we come across hard passages, mm -hmm. instead of struggling through them, sometimes we yeah. rebel against them. Yeah. Anyway, it just shows the depth that we can hold on to either belief or sin. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the natural thing that we want to think of whenever we think of 
seeing something obvious in Scripture and railing against it, in our circles we tend to go to, yeah, election, right? Not U.S. election. I'm talking about <laughs> sovereign election, the one that really matters. Anyway, um, the, the, uh, you see that as, uh, yes, it was beautiful. Um, there, there, there is that certainly there, but what we tend to maybe overlook, some, or what I wrestle with, I'll, just, I'll, I'll own it, um, is when I see things like image of God things, compassion, kindness, gentleness. I don't want to read that. I don't want to see chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians. I'll stick with 1 through 3. But let's what are, challenge me personally. What are you talking about? You know, and I don't want to... I want to keep going at the, the um, analytical, the theoretical, the doctrinal stuff, and not, and not let it hit me. If God is sovereign, I need to look like Jesus. And here's the way Paul is saying I look like Jesus. Am I doing that? No, let's talk about soteriology or eschatology, or, which are all good things. I don't want to minimize that, but they should impact us. They should have some effect on how we live and how we relate to one another and the world. But yeah, the blinders that we put on, that we see in Scripture, are not just those big divisive issues. It's, are we willing to be changed by the truth? Am I willing to be changed by the truth of what God's Word says? That's exactly right. Anything else? Kevin, this gives me, um, this gives me confidence in God because not all of us are supposed to be street preachers mm-hmm. to go out and preach in you know, the temple or right. in a Muslim country or anything. But, sure. Um, at the same time, the things or even Detroit to do are we need to have boldness in that, and we need to to we need to not shy away from what God has called us to do. Mm-hmm. Whether that's witnessing to somebody, which we're all called to witness, or doing our job, we need to do that with boldness. Sure. And when given the opportunity, this this shows where God's well, what God wants us to do. And how does that affect, knowing that we're called to be bold in our witness, how does that affect how we relate to fellow employees or if we're the employer, the employees? I mean, doesn't that also put a burden on us? Remember, even though I may be offended by what they've done to me, I need to think through wisely how I approach it so that the gospel's not hindered. That's a tall order. My impulse is to be right. My impulse is to see justice and punishment and, you know, but that the gospel, a gospel of be reconciled to Christ, how does that flow into a relationship where there's conflict? Anyway, lots of ways to, to, to challenge ourselves to be uh, less impulsive for the temporary and more intentional on et- what is eternal. The confidence—it um, just struck me that um, the apostles didn't assume that the high priest and the council couldn't be redeemed hmm. because they were going to share the gospel with them. Right. And that they didn't go in assuming that God couldn't save anyone. Right. And I think we all have people in our lives that go, yeah, I don't yeah. Know, well, maybe by a miracle of God, but we kind of. Don't necessarily. What if we're the means of the miracle? Right. Yeah. So, by the way, everybody say by a miracle of God. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, think about that. They were so confident that even the high priest could be saved. <laughs> Just let that sink in. 
<laughs> All right. Anything else? I find it really cool that this isn't the only time that God sends an angel to break out one of his followers. Yeah, he he does that again with uh, Paul and Silas later, and and uh, we see, and they don't leave. What's that? Jesus from the tomb. Well, he kind of broke himself out of that one. They were just there as witnesses. Yeah, this is what happened. Yeah, because I think the the stone actually was moved from the inside out. Is that, is that the way that worked? I don't know. Uh, all right, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you display yourself as mighty and mighty to save, not merely from temporary discomforts and trials, which sometimes you choose not to, but that you are mighty to save us from our sin, from our innate rebellion against you and your Christ. Thank you for making us willing in the day of his power. I pray, Father, that our hearts would be warmed by that confidence that we can have in you. That you have seated Christ on a throne and he is king of all kings and Lord of all lords. And that he is working the growth and conquest of his kingdom, not by a sword, but by the power of the preached word. Would you make us bold? Would you give us a confidence to reach out into a culture that is disintegrating at the seams into insanity? A denial of the reality of the Creator is an embrace of absurdity. And so we pray for the power through your Spirit, the effectiveness through your Spirit, the boldness through your Spirit to call people to reason, which is lay down your arms, repent, and believe the gospel. We pray for ourselves, Father, that we would fight the remaining battles that we have in our own hearts that cling to the temporary rather than the eternal. We want to love Jesus more than anything else, and I thank you for this group, that they, they love you, that they want to be crafted and molded into the image of Jesus. I pray that you give each of us wisdom and how to best do that in our context, in our world. I pray that we would be a, a source of encouragement to each other to press forward to the upward call of Christ. We want to look like Him. We want to reflect Him rightly. May we be an encouragement to each other to do so as we are knit together by your Spirit into a body, each joint supplying what it is placed to supply. I pray for the service coming up that you would give Philip once again the words to speak, what we need to hear by your Spirit, that we would be challenged, we'd be encouraged, we would love Jesus more leaving this place today, and that we would take that love and zeal that we have for Him into the world, displaying an otherworldliness, not creating an obstacle for the gospel, it's offensive enough, 
but to display the effects of the gospel in our own hearts and our own lives as we all deal with some tough things in our own lives. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I pray that you help us all to reflect those things this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.